Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles. And if you would, open up to Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Great job, band. Thank you all so much. Wonderful to worship and lift up our voices together to sing those truths together as a body and hear all of our voices collectively together. Uh, We're continuing in our series we're calling Gospel Culture, where we are looking at what does it mean to live lives surrendered to King Jesus. Uh, So in the context, the Philippian church, Paul is writing this from prison uh, uh, to this church, and they are, uh, uh, he's reminding them that they're not to they're not to be first citizens of Caesar, but they're to be citizens of Christ, kingdom citizens. So we're, he's, he's telling them, how do we live uh, knowing that Jesus is our king? And so we are continuing in this. I'm going to read our passage that we're going to be in this morning, and we'll unpack it uh, together. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. The apostle Paul writing this in prison to this church. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we now have attained. So if you just unplug this and you haven't been with us for a little while, what is he talking about here? There's... He's saying, I'm not already perfect. I'm not, I've already obtained this. So at the very beginning, verse 12, he says, not that I've already uh, obtained this. And at the very end in 16 in our passage, he says, let us hold true to what we have attained. So what is he talking about? What hasn't he obtained? What hasn't he grabbed hold of? What hasn't he been made perfect in? What is he talking about? What is uh, this thing that he's talking about? Well, the apostle Paul is referring to the, the passage, of course, that we were just in last week in his famous declaration, his life's desire as stated in verses 10 and 11. So without 10 and 11, these passages don't make a whole lot of sense. And so Philippians 3, 10 and 11, what hasn't he already obtained? What hasn't he been perfect in is this, this amazing statement, Philippians 3, 10 and 11, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This passionate plea, this passionate declaration means that every day the apostles' relentless pursuits He had this relentless desire, this relentless pursuit of an ever-deepening and an ever-widening knowledge of Christ. He wanted more of Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing, even in his sufferings. And remember, at this time Paul was writing this, he's been a Christian for over 30 years. He's in prison. He's writing these words 
And this is still his life's aim. This is still his life's passion. This is still what he longs for, what he's leaning toward. He's like, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to become like him in his death and by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. This means growing in the knowledge of Christ, this constant pursuit of the power of the resurrected, risen Jesus in his life, guiding his life, leading his life, and giving him new life daily as he walks with the Lord. This is Paul's passion. And he's writing this church so that they also would have this passion. And we have it today so that this passionate plea would be ours as well. And paired with this resurrection power that he says he wants and he's longing for and he's pleading that he has is that he would also share in the sufferings of Christ. Because before there is Easter, there's Good Friday. And Paul knows this. Before resurrection, there's suffering. Before new birth, there's death. And the sacred path Paul knows to knowing Christ in this way, to knowing Christ and his resurrection power in his life is walking and suffering with Christ. And then lastly, here in this section that he's referring to in verses 10 and 11, Paul longed to be conformed to Christ's death by the transforming activity of God. In effect, taking up his cross daily and following Jesus. There's a lot of places in scripture that have these verses about these great longings of these men and women in the scripture about what they want from God and how they long for God. They're, in the, in the, they're all over the Psalms, but I don't know if there's any greater than this one right here in Philippians 3, 10 and 11 that we had last week that serves as the precursor to our passages today. And it's meant to serve as an example to the Philippian church that Paul is writing to. And it's meant to serve and encourage and be ours as well. When we read this plea of the Apostle Paul after walking with Christ for 30 years, we might be tempted to think, well, it's Paul. He's writing it in prison. He's attained it. He's done it. He's, he's like the most famous Christian in the world. Like he's, a, he's done it. Like he's the hero of the New Testament He's amazing. He's walked it so well. He's, he seemingly has walked it perfectly. Paul is quick to confess. He's quick to say no. That's simply not the case. And he immediately interjects after this passionate declaration of how he wants to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and even share in the sufferings of Christ. Immediately after that, he makes sure that we know that he has not attained this. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Because we're tempted. We love to make people heroes. We love to put people up on a pedestal. We love to, we all want just that, that perfect thing to look at. And he says, no, Jesus is the only perfect one. I've not obtained this. I'm not perfect. And this language he's using is gripping. Because he's saying, uh, there's no direct object. I've not already received it. Or we would say it today, a common translation, a modern translation is, not that I've already arrived. Not that I've arrived. So right at the beginning, we see the life's goal of Paul is to know Christ in this amazing passage in Philippians 3, 10, and 11, and is matched here this week in our passages with his wonderful humility. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he's quick to say, not that I've already attained it. I haven't arrived. There's more for me. There's more of him for me. I'm not stopping. I haven't made it. I'm not perfect. Now remember the Judaizers. Michael brought them up last week that were coming against Paul and coming against some of his teachings about what it meant to be saved, what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. They would say to Christians that you had to have strict adherence to the law. You had to be perfect in the law. And remember, Paul gave his resume. He's like, uh, he, I've, done, I've accomplished all of these things, yet I still need Christ. They said you need to earn all of these things. You need to do all of these things to earn salvation. And one could argue uh, that Paul was the most spectacular Christian of all, like we just said. And here he says, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. He says, I need to grow. The Apostle Paul. I need to grow in the Lord. I am not perfect. I need more of Christ. What a warning to us. To those of us that maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and you kind of just feel, well, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I don't need to learn anything new. I don't need to know Christ more. I kind of have my routine down, and uh, I feel fine. What a warning to us to not become complacent in the place that we're at, but to keep pressing on to grow in our faith and to know more of Jesus and more of him because we have not arrived We have not arrived. Here's the reality, and here's what Paul is helping us understand. The more we come to know Christ, the more we know of him, the more he deposits more of his spirit and more of who he is into us, the more we come to a sense of our need for even more of him. It's the opposite of how most things in the world work. Right? It's like most other things in our world operate that the more we know of it, the more we get a grasp on it, the more we understand it, the more we become an expert in it, the more we study it, the less we feel like we need to know about it because it's just second nature. We can just do it. It's it's autopilot. We got PhD level people that they just have this, they're experts in this field about this and it's just, they just know it. And they don't need to study anymore. They don't need to go back and read. Like, it just is in them. And Paul's saying, no, when you know Christ, the more you delve into him, the more he pours out his spirit upon you, the more it just reveals to you your, your sense of need that you need just more of him. More and more of him. More and more of him. I have not arrived. I need more of you, Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, the more that I know Christ, the more loudly I sense my need for him. Isn't that beautiful? My need is actually greater than I ever realized. The more he becomes near to me and the more that I have of him. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, we're far worse than we have ever imagined, but far more loved than we could ever dream. That's beautiful. And if we believe that we have arrived, here's the danger that I think Paul is wanting us to understand. Stagnation sets in. Complacency sets in. Spiritual atrophy sets in. And how do we battle that? How do we wage war against spiritual atrophy and stagnation? I'm fine. I'm just kind of doing my thing and going about my business, doing the church thing and 
You know, occasionally I'll throw up a prayer. I listen to KSBJ. I mean, what more, what more could you want from me, Lord? Um, you battle it with this prayer that Paul gave us, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may even share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. That is a prayer of holy discontentedness. Holy dissatisfaction. I've not arrived. I'm not there. I want more of him. I want to know him. I want to know him so intimately that I would even share, have the honor of sharing in the sufferings of my Lord. That is a hard prayer to pray. Knowing Jesus is not an event. Church, let me say that again. Knowing Jesus is not an event. It is a life lived of striving and walking in obedience to all that he's called us and to get more of him and more of him and more of him. It is not only a moment. A moment can help start it, but it doesn't stop there. He's saying we keep going. We keep longing for more of him. I want more of God. Jesus tells us the very same thing in Matthew 5, 6. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus says you should hunger and thirst for it. When we're hungry and thirsty, all we can do is think about being hungry and thirsty. All we can think about is I need a drink or I'm really hungry because my belly is grumbling. I need food. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling parched. Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Paul, Paul's desire and his hunger and thirst for Christ births now, as we move on in the verse, in verse 12, a resolve. A resolve. Verse 12. He hasn't arrived. I'm not perfect. I have this Holy discontent, I want more of Christ in verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. What a great verse. There's, there's this grittiness in the language that he's using. You can get a sense of it more in the original Greek. But the, the, the Greek word is this gritty word. It's a word associated even with violence. I know that, like, stick with me. But it could be read this way. If I, if I pursue, if indeed I may seize it, because I indeed have been seized. It's this word to seize something, to violently almost grab it, to pull it in, to press it in. It's a, it's a battle word. It's an overtaking word. It's this rough and tumble, gritty language that Paul uses on purpose. And it almost harkens us back to Paul's conversion experience on the Damascus Road where the Lord Jesus Christ met him and seized him and blinded him. And he came to know saving faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's conversion was not uh, comfortable. He was seized by Christ. And he says, but I press on to make it my own, to seize it for my own. Why? Because I've first been seized by Christ. He's mine. Um, Paul says he longs to know Christ. He longs to know more of him. He longs to, to know more and more of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he is in the grip of grace. 
He's held by him. He's in the grip of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that drives him to want to seize more of who Jesus is for his entire life. 30 years after following the Lord Jesus, 30 years after the Damascus Road experience where Paul is blinded and saved by the risen Lord Jesus, he still writes this, and he encourages the Philippian church to live this way as well. He's been seized by Christ, so he longs to keep grasping at him. So this whole pursuit of Christ starts with King Jesus, is motivated by King Jesus, and is propelled by King Jesus. And the present tense in this passage gives us a picture of this ongoing grasping, this ongoing strenuous pursuit. I will not be denied, straining to pursue Christ, a divine violence, so to speak. Jesus talks about this in Matthew eleven twelve. Stick with me. Um, we read this in Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, stick with me. Spurgeon interprets that passage this way. It's interesting. Um, Spurgeon interprets what, what was just said in the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent men take it by force. I find it interesting. You may not agree, but that nevertheless, Spurgeon has some interesting points. But he says, when John the Baptist came in declaring that the kingdom of God is coming, that there is the Savior is on the way, that the one that we've been waiting for is coming, he, droves of people were coming out to the wilderness to hear this man preach and to baptize them because the one that would come, that he was not fit to untie his sandals, was going to come take away the sins of the world. And it's almost a sense of pushing and pleading, and I've got to see what he's talking about and see more of it, and it's this pursuit, and it's this overtaking of I'm longing to hear about the promised Messiah to come. There's violence even in getting to this, this gospel that's going to be preached. There's a longing to hear it. Or even uh, Spurgeon uses the illustration of the paralytic whose friends in Capernaum take him. They, they're hearing that Jesus is there and they tear a hole in the roof. I've got to get my friend down to him. He alone has the words of life. He can heal my friend. So they tear a hole in the roof and let the guy down so that he can be in front of Jesus. It's this pursuit. I need to be near him. I, want to, I long to hear from more of him. I need the presence of Jesus. I need Christ. So I want to say to everyone this morning, if you've been seized by Christ, then today you are in the grips of his grace. Today you are in the grips of his grace. And he's calling you to that level of pursuit to grab hold of him as he's laid hold of you. And it just keeps going. By any means necessary, just long for more of him, to seize him back. Another way that I've thought about it this week as I've been processing is um, my youngest daughter, Ruthie, um, at bedtime. I'm reading her a story, and we're about to say goodnight. He off, or she often, we, we kind of go back and forth, and when we're saying goodnight and I love you, she says, I love you as big as the house. 
I love you as big as the house. She says, I love you as big as the stars, because we just put all the stars on her for her birthday, all the glow stars, so it was just pretty cool. I love you as big as the stars. And she goes, I love you as big as our trip. We took a trip to Montana a few years ago, and it still scarred her. It's like that was the biggest, like, oh, my gosh, that was torturous, like, so long, so big. So she said, I love you as big as our trip, because there's nothing in the world bigger than driving for days on end. (laughs) I love you as big as our trip, too, Ruthie. And then she squeezes me and hugs me. And what do I do? Do I just lay there? Thanks, Ruthie. No. When you've just heard that, you, you squeeze them back. And then she squeezes harder and as hard as she can. And then she goes, Daddy, did that hurt? I said, no. <laughs> it didn't hurt. That's what I love. She can, I want her to squeeze as hard as she possibly can. And I want to squeeze her back and hold her back. We've been seized by his grace. Now, friends, pursue him And squeeze him tight. We need him. We love him. He loves us. We're in the grip of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel here that Paul is describing, that he's giving us insight in and understanding to, leaves no room, leaves no room for bland, lukewarm Christianity. It leaves no room for a Christ that seizes you in and squeezes you and you do nothing back. It calls us into movement and our heart and minds are enraptured with what we've been caught up in in this glorious reality of the grip of the grace of the Lord Jesus and we long to have more of him. We're called every mother, every daughter, every father, and every son in this room to a single-minded pursuit of Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. And then Paul is increasing in his intensity in this passage. And he feels that one disclaimer is not enough. So uh, he repeats himself in almost a more personal matter beginning in verse 13 as we go on in our scripture. He says, brothers, again, same thing, I do not consider that I've made it my own, literally could be translated, I do not consider that I've seized it, I've not arrived, I'm longing for more, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But one thing I do, and as you look at this, this draws on a metaphor of a foot race. These, the games would have been known by these people, these foot race games, the, the, the race that would have been observed and watched by great athletes of the time would have been known. So he's playing on this uh, metaphor of the foot race, and he uses clause, a clause um, in the present tense, but one thing I do. So that's present, and then he gives a clause in the past, forgetting what lies behind, and then he goes to the future, straining forward to what lies ahead. So he covers the whole life, the past, the present, and the future. In this metaphor of this foot race for us as believers in Christ, back to the present, 
I press on. It's a picture of focus. It's a picture of intensity. When Paul says, uh, I press on, he's, he's presently doing that. He's presently str- looking at the, the goal, the objective. He knows what, what he's doing. He's pressing on. He's pressing on. And then when Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, was he suggesting just like amnesia of the past? Well, don't forget. Just forget it. Forget everything that's behind you. Is he just suggesting, just forget everything in the past? No, I don't believe so. But what he's talking about here takes takes place in uh, this idea of the race before him. Now, we know that Paul has great concern for the church in other places of the scripture where he talks about what's happened in the past and he's addressing it, how we move forward. So we know he's not just throwing out the past. He's like, oh, just forget the past. Let's, let's just focus on tomorrow. So he, we know that Paul's heart, as he's writing other epistles, knows about things that have happened in the past and he addresses them so that we can walk forward in a manner worthy of the gospel. So he's not just negating the past, But what he's getting us to think about is the special kind of forgetfulness, I'm going to call it. And I think it's maybe twofold. It's letting go, and this goes along with some other passages that we've been in in Philippians as he's been writing this letter, of past achievements. Forget what lies behind. Forget what you accomplished 10 years ago, last week, yesterday. The race is now, it's before you. Look what's ahead of you. Because if we, in the race that God has called us to run in this Christian life, as we're pressing forward, as we're clinging to Jesus and what he's called us to do, if we just sort of let our minds wander and just think about the good old days. Man, I remember that camp I went to. I remember this time in my life where this happened. Praise God for those things. But if you stop and let your mind sit and settle on things of the past, complacency sets in and you don't run the race before you right now. You just end up plopping down and just Christianity becomes sentimentality to you. Man, I was really on fire for the Lord when I was in the seventh grade. Beautiful. It's like you're 45. Let's go, you know? Like, I get it. Like, that was a great time and the Lord used it. Let's, let's let it propel us forward. Not for, don't, don't just look back at that. And think that that's going to propel you into obedience to run the race before you right now. Forgetting what lies behind. If we keep looking behind and hang our hat on our achievements, complacency and indifference inevitably set into our lives and hearts. I believe he's also warning us of another thing. And this is for many of us here in this room. Many of us are like, well, I don't hang my hat on those achievements. That's not... I don't, geez, I'm a mess. Some of us look behind and we just see a long list of failures. I just blew it. I didn't live for him. I didn't live for him here, 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 last week, last year, 10 years ago. And every time we feel the call to press on for more of Jesus, we look back and we're like, "I I can't do that. This is not for me. Like, I just... I'm just a mess, so I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to let others run the race. I'm going to watch them, and I'm going to cheer them on, but I'm like basically almost disqualified. Paul says, forget what lies behind. Don't let your past failures stop you from running the race he has before you. 
Keep pressing on. Everyone needs to learn from this passage. For those of us that have been running the race a long time, maybe you're a little battle-worn, perhaps maybe you've had some great accomplishments, like Paul. I mean, he's planted all these church, like he, he of all people could have just, like, hang it up. Like, I, did, I think I did pretty good, you know? He calls us to selective amnesia. Don't stop, don't get complacent based on your achievements. Don't be lulled to sleep by what was done in the past so that you might forget the call that he has before you and don't be paralyzed by your past failures. He's calling you to something today. He's calling you in the race today, now, to run, to strive, to focus, to run well so that you're not running like this. I'm clearly a sprinter. I mean, if you just look at me, so I know a lot about this. Um, so if you're, I mean, if you're a sprinter like me, like world class, you know the coach tells you, all of my sprinter coaches, you're, people are like, should I keep laughing? Does he think that? This is like a, I'm kidding. So, but I've heard that you're just, you run through the finish line. You don't like, when you start doing that, you lose your stride, you break your stride, and someone overtakes you. This is the picture he's giving us. Look ahead, go, go. Selective amnesia. The second picture is this, straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, another runner's analogy. This is running with the last stages of the race. Straining forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? The finish line. The end. The long, you've, you've just been running it. You've been running it well. So he's, he's saying strain, like straining with everything left in the tank. When your body wants to just stop, your muscles are on fire. Your feet are numb. You're pounding the course. You can't feel anything. You can't think really about it. Your stomach is growling. He says, put it, like go, keep straining. Keep running. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up because it's in those moments when you're feeling like that, you're like, this isn't worth it. Everything in your body and everything in your mind says stop. You've got to stop doing this. And he says, don't, don't stop. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And he concludes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The vision to keep, keep you going to the end of the race is the prize at the end. So he sees that yellow stripe at the end as he's running. And when you see that, when you know that's the end goal, when you know that as your vision, as you're, you're clearly running towards something, for something, the prize that's at hand, adrenaline sets in, I so I've heard. And you just go. And you get this burst that you didn't even know was in you. And you run your arms pumping, you're leaning into the goal and you run for this, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what is this upward call he's talking about? The full and complete gaining of Christ who for his sake has counted everything else as a loss. So I run this way. For Paul, the greatest reward his reward, the end, 
was to fully know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and even sharing in his sufferings. So I will run even when my body is on fire, when it's telling me to stop. No, because I know the goal is Christ and he is worth it. I'll count everything else as a loss. I'll fix my eyes. The greatest reward is Christ and to experience the resurrection power in a life committed to Christ. That's the experience that Paul wants you and I to even seize and to have and to know and to be striving and straining for. And now he concludes here with some gentle and wise advice. He kind of, he settles down. You're like, whew, that's a lot, Paul. Like that's, and he concludes in 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Again, humility. Mature people don't think they're perfect or that they have arrived. But those who are truly mature in the faith refuse even the slightest glance back that results in complacency or the slightest glance back that results in paralyzing fear because of your failures and you pour all your energy on what's ahead that you might gain the, the knowledge of Christ, the knowing relational aspect of Christ and the power of the resurrection in your life. And in the middle of it, you don't just wish it was over because it's the race he has you on. And here Paul is saying, if there's any thought or lingering thought or anything otherwise that's bubbling up that you just, you don't feel like that, you don't think like that, you don't, you don't want to seize Christ like that because you've been seized by him, Paul here in this amazing statement trusts that the Spirit of God will do what only the Spirit of God can do for the church. His words can't do it, but the Spirit of God in and through you can. He's like, I trust that God will do a work in you. He's like, it's not mine, it's not my thing. He goes, you're Christ's, you're his. And he trusts the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Um, and you're like, man, this is like, whew. It's pretty extreme. Well, Paul's given us a language. Yeah, I mean, this is what he's describing. This is what he's calling us to. This is what he's charging us toward and for. And he's saying, if you think that years after Christian living that, okay, will finally arrive, if you think there's a time coming where you'll just know enough, where do we even need to, what's, why do we keep doing this week after week after week? Why do I keep getting into my Bible? What's the point of it all? If you think those thoughts, if those things creep in, if you're ready to just settle and not pursue Christ, if you're ready to just ease up, Paul's saying, don't have that mind in you. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't hang your hat on what happened 20 years ago. There's fresh spirit of God, pursuit of Jesus today, now, in the days ahead, and you, as you live your life. 
Don't let the fears of your failures paralyze you from thinking about that God can use you today and in days ahead and the days to come. Get in the race, he's saying. And then one final word from Paul in 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And I love this because he includes himself in this. Let us, us, the church, us as Christians, himself and his readers in this statement. He says, let us keep in step with what we have attained. Paul wants them together collectively as God's people, not just individually, but collectively let us have unity in this same passion to know Christ and not depart from the progress that they've made, not sideline yourself, not stop in complacency, not stop with fears of failure. Let us together run the race that God has before us as kingdom citizens, as a gospel culture that is making impacts and inroads on all the lives we're touching and all the people that we know. He's got great work for you and plans for you. Don't stop with the progress that we've made, he's saying. And that is a great final word for us. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's passionate declaration. Let us hold true to this. Let this be our fuel that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul calls us to a passionate grasping of the faith, to hold true to it, to cling to it, to pursue it, to seize it. So church, as we end and as the praise band comes back up, I wanna encourage us to think about our lives, and to think about our walk with the Lord and not be lulled to sleep by past achievements. Not hang your hat on what happened 10 days ago or 10 years ago and just to stop and sit down because he has new vision, a new goal. He, has, he calls you into the game and into the race. I also want us to think about maybe your past failures. Maybe you're sitting in here and you feel paralyzed to get into the race, to, to fight the good fights, to, to live for Christ, because can he really use me? I mean, I've, I've, blew, I've blown it so many times. You have been seized and you are in the grips of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who forgives and who casts sin as far as the east is from the west and now he calls you into a new life to serve him for the gospel so that like Paul in Philippians in the beginning, we may see the gospel advance in our generation. He calls us all together in this. So let's uh, all bow our heads and let's pray and let's ask the Lord here this morning, would he bubble up in us? Would he let us know? Are we hanging our hats on what the Lord did in our lives many years ago? And we're just banking and thinking on that and we're not running the race and striving forward with what he has in front of us. That we keep looking back. We're not forgetting what lies behind. Would you ask the Lord this morning that he would focus you to what you have in front of you, that you would run well.
that you would strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Today, that look like for you? Where is he calling you in obedience to run well? Is there someone in your life that is far from Jesus that needs to be brought near and you've crossed paths and the race before you is to get the opportunity to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with someone far from him that they may come to know? Or maybe you're here and there's past failures, there's past regret, there's past sin. Yes, repent. Ask for forgiveness. The gracious risen Lord Jesus forgives sinners. That is the good news of the gospel. He bore all of our iniquity on the tree. He was raised and resurrected in new life. And to those that believe by faith, he grants to us life everlasting and the power of the resurrection now. This is what Paul is striving for and running for and straining to. We are seized in the grip of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not look behind at your failures and make it nullify the race you're supposed to be running today. Would you for a moment pray and receive the forgiveness of Jesus here this morning for those things that you just hold on to that paralyze you in your walk with the Lord today. Forget what lies behind. Receive the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Ask him. Bring it to him. Repent. Be forgiven. Jesus, we have not arrived. We are far from perfect. We need you. We want to know you. We want to strain and strive forward so that we might grasp and seize more of you because we've been seized by you and we are now children, sons and daughters in the grip of the grace of our risen Lord Jesus. You know the best way. Would you set us on course, forgiven and empowered by your spirit to run the race set before us. May we run well and may we do it together in unity for your gospel impact in our lives, in our church, in our communities, and Lord willing, around the world. We're part of something greater. Give us eyes to see that so that we might run well. 
striving to have more of you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we get to live this life together under the banner of the risen Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Church, will you stand? Let's praise and worship him this morning.